RadioInfluence.com. He got him in the white trunks. He heard it. That's beautiful. Oh, God. That's beautiful. He's got it. And he forced the top. Wow. And here's the submission. And it's all over. It's nice. all over. First round knockout. Big He's out. Rich Franklin retains his belt. The one thing that I never thought in a million years would happen happened. The champion. The challenger. Here we This is the MMA Report with Jason Floyd on Radio Influence. What is up, everyone? It is time for another interview edition of the MMA Report podcast. I've got four fire interviews here on this episode of the podcast. You're going to hear from a man that's going to make his bare-knuckle debut coming up on Friday night. Former Bellator featherweight champion Daniel Strauss. I had a chance to catch up with Daniel, talk to him about what has been going on with him. We have not seen him since he had that fight in XMA two years ago. So got a chance to catch up with him, talk to him about kind of how everything came together and now being a bare-knuckle fighter and pretty much his days as a mixed martial artist being over. Then you're going to hear from a man who is coming off a win at Tough Enough there uh, in Las Vegas. Weston Wilson continue his winning streak. And if you saw his post-fight interview, you know exactly what he wants. It's hoping to be in the UFC. So you hear my conversation with him. Then you're going to hear from the undefeated flyweight prospect, Alan Martinez. He is the cousin of Johnny Munoz, so had a chance to catch up with him, talk to him about his most recent victory, what may be next for him. And then the final interview you're going to hear is with a amateur flyweight out of the lab there in Arizona. Ezra Elliott had a chance to catch up with him, talk to him about his most recent win, which came on that same tough enough card that Weston Wilson was on. Of course, as always, I appreciate you taking time out of your day, download and listen to this episode of the podcast. Of course, great way to show your support for the podcast, leaving a rating and review, whether you listen to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, if you can share this with your friends, share it on your social media profiles, I really would appreciate that. Now, before we get into the interviews, a couple of things I do want to touch on here because we're here on a UFC pay-per-view fight week as I'm actually recording this here on Monday evening. Do apologize for not getting the show out on a Sunday, but a couple of things I want to mention before we get into the interviews. And I want to go back to a couple of days ago prior to the Bellator show, prior to the UFC show, and uh, some things I saw on MMA social media. And uh, one thing that I'll point out to first is there was this tweet from Nick Baldwin where he had said, just had a random thought. Cyborg is still a free agent. UFC should sign her to a one-fight deal and do the Nunez rematch. Biggest fight for Nunez by quite a bit. Still probably the biggest fight you can make in a women's MMA. If Cyborg loses, let her go back to Bellator or to the PFL. And my response to Nick on this when I saw this come across my timeline, and I tweeted, I go, as a combat sports consumer, it would be great to see this happen but got to be realistic about it. Why would UFC be interested in signing Cyborg to a one-fight deal? And once again, there's sometimes, and nothing against Nick here, but it's one of these times, and I, and I see on MMA Twitter, I'm like, we got to be realistic with things. As a combat sports consumer, I mean, that's what I am. I would love to see Cyborg and Nunez. It would be the biggest fight for both Cyborg and Nunez at this time, but realizing probably a 5% chance that that happens. And maybe I'm too high on because I truly do feel that I think if you're going to see Chris Cyborg back inside a MMA cage, it's going to be in Bellator. I did see on her Twitter handle today. She was already kind of talking up that Singano and Liam McCourt fight. That's going to be the co-main event of the upcoming Bellator show there 
on March 31st. But that's just something that I saw on MMA Twitter that I was like, okay, let's be a little bit realistic here. Other things on MMA Twitter, and myself and Daniel have talked about this for a couple you know, times over the past couple of weeks, and it's kind of about these clickbait headlines that we see in mixed martial arts that are maybe not exactly the most accurate headline. And let's go to MMA Junkie. I used to be a big MMA Junkie guy. I'm just not anymore. And the headline was, NAC, NAC chairman who approved Dana White's power slap admits he made a mistake. And so I quote tweeted this headline. I said, so the headline worked and got me to click the article. But the more accurate headline would be former NAC chairman. This is the type of story that gives Dana White the ammo to attack the media in its coverage of power slap. And one of the things, and I tweeted about this right before the show started, and it was about in relation to power slap and and kind of all the coverage that we're seeing in terms of power slap. And, And my tweet was simply this. It goes, I'm getting ready to record a new episode of my podcast and browsing MMA Twitter. And maybe I'm wrong here, but clearly Power Slap is drawing clicks engagement with all the MMA websites constantly having stories and videos. Now, I was not around Twitter on Saturday night when Power Slap was going on on Saturday afternoon. Went out to spring training with some of my, my Bucks crew and, uh, you know, had a good time. So I really did not take in MMA and Power Slap. But, you know, kind of after the fact, you know, going around MMA Twitter, I did really did notice the fact that there was a lot of people that I follow who cover this sport that were clearly having stories about Power Slap. And it's just one of those things that when I see that, I just kind of go, man, clearly Power Slap is getting this. But this article uh, over at MMA Junkie was a story based on an Associated Press story. And it comes to from the now former NSA chairman, Steven Klubeck. Uh, and the article writes, Steven Klubeck served as the NAC chair last October when Campbell, meaning Hunter, made a slap fighting presentation to the commission before governing body of voted to approve the controversial combat sports. Two months later, Klobach stepped down and now three months after his resignation, he apparently feels differently about approving slap fighting in Nevada. Quote, I made a mistake. Klobach said, according to the associated press, I'm not happy about it. And the article goes on to say white didn't directly respond to Klobach's admission but he acknowledged it before going on about the NAC making the right call. Quote, as far as Klobach, he's not on the commission anymore, but why would you want it to be regulated? White told the spun. We've taken a lot of risk out of combat sports. Regulation isn't about personal taste or preference. Athletic commissions are tasked with protecting adults who are knowingly and willingly choosing to engage in unarmed combat sports. A key function of their duty is to make sure the athletes are medically fit to compete in a quote. And this is from the article over at MMAJunkie.com. And I will say this, and I mean, look, I, I think it's very easy to come down on Dana White on various things. But when you read this quote, I can't come down on Dana White at all. I have to agree with what Dana White said there. What Dana White said is absolutely 1000% correct. That is the athletic commission's job of protecting the athletes who are taking, uh, taking part in a sport that they have regulated. And as I tweet about this story and I ended up having a little bit of interaction with uh, someone on Twitter, it's basically like, to me, it's about, it's a headline of like, Hey, let's, let's make the headline be 
more realistic. It's also one of those things that it, the, to me, the story would have more substance if it was someone currently on the Nevada state athletic commission, making these comments now to me, you know, and, and look, power slap is not my thing. And I was thinking about this right before I started recording the show, because one of the things that I'm kind of thinking about this weekend is for UFC 286 going out to a sports bar to watch it. And, you know, maybe, you know, start kind of talking to people around the bar and say, Hey, what's your thoughts of power slap? You know, because I think that there are, and once again, this is my perception may not be reality, but I feel like overall that a lot of the MMA media who covered a sport have just taken this, this negative or personal opinion that they just don't enjoy slap fighting, which I have no problem with. I, I would say this, I'm not big on slap fighting, but also I do have some understanding that there is going to be an audience out there that is intrigued with slap fighting. Now I do find it interesting that news comes out today that TBS is not renewing with power slap and Dana White did announce that they've signed a two year deal that it's going to be on rumble. Also, he noted on the Pat McAfee show last week about potentially going over to Abu Dhabi for some cards, which I did find it kind of interesting. It does make me wonder, maybe is there a little bit, maybe more to this story? Maybe is there a little bit more of maybe, maybe the state of Nevada is having a little buyer's remorse on power slap, but to me, clearly, there's a lot of people that are intrigued in power slap. And this is, uh, I just got this tweet in here, and this comes from uh, Scott. He says, Rumble has over $300 million in a war chest and is buying content providers. Power slap is joining a number of conservative commentators and going to Rumble. They wouldn't open the pocketbook if the numbers didn't make sense. And Scott is absolutely right there that if, you know, the numbers, you know, they wouldn't open the pocketbook if the numbers didn't make sense. So clearly there's an audience out there for Power Slap. I'll be honest with you, I've never been on Rumble. And Power Slap just, you know, it's not really my cup of tea. But like, like look, if I'm going through my my TikTok timeline or my Instagram timeline, because more times than not, those are kind of the, the two social media platforms I stay on the most uh, outside of Twitter is if I see, you know, I might take it in. But like I watched two episodes of Power Slap. And it's just something that just really didn't intrigue me. But I do understand that there is an audience out there that want to see this. Also, in terms of MMA Twitter, something that stuck out to me uh, last week was actually a comment made by Scott Coker. And I tweeted about this and, and, and John Morgan, I'm going to let you hear the audio uh, from Scott Coker here in, in a moment, but it was talking about the free agency of Francis Ngannou and Scott Coker is a promoter that does not do a ton of media. That's never been Scott saying. So anytime Scott Coker does media, I always try to take it in because it's like, okay, what will Scott say? And there's sometimes Scott may really not say anything, but to me, this is one of those instances where I felt Scott Coker really gave us some insight of what's going on behind the scenes. Now listen, my guys have been talking to Francis. I know they met. I know Stephen met with him on the boxing side. I've always said that I think it would be a perfect fit for him because he could do boxing, he could do MMA. But um, I, I don't think that you know there's any anything close to a deal uh, being being presented back and forth. You know, so I, I, I mean, let's see what happens. You know, I, anything can happen. But um, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure that we're going to be in that business on the MMA side. Maybe for the boxing side, it might work out. But um, you know, to me, it's like. It has to be equitable for everybody, and, and that's how I feel. And there's, there's, you know, we have a, ver a pretty robust purse amount every year, and 
you know, we could spread that around. We could take a lot of that person, pay our guys, and open, you know, sign other fighters, and keep building divisions, right? So, to me, it's like uh, uh, I would say it's fifty-fifty at this point. One of the things I and to me, and, and I tweeted about this after I I watched that quote, and I tweeted, I said the key word in this sta- statement is equitable. Can't blame Engano for looking for a massive payday but not good at potentially two of the top three MMA promotions bulk at his price tag. And it's like, and I said there, it's like Scott does not do a ton of media, but when he does media, you got to kind of listen to what he says. And I will say this: someone that I have a ton of respect for in this MMA media landscape is John Nash. And, you know, John Nash tweeted at me, he said the opponent's, don't exist for him outside of UFC for any other MMA promotion to generate enough to compete with boxing unless they're doing it solely as a loss leader. And I would agree with that. Now, the one interesting tweet that did come at me and I responded to uh, this tweet, and that was from the MMA FA. It was a very uh, intriguing and tweet. And look, and I have a lot of respect for what the MMA FA is doing. I think they're doing some great things, but the way that, and, and I'm pulling up the tweet here that they had sent me and, and I'll say this and look, I, I respect with what they have to say, but it's also one of those things that I look at and go, we got to be realistic in this situation. And the MAFA tweeted at me said, quote, if Francis was still champion, all promotions, including the UFC, would be bidding for Francis. The UFC instead stripped Francis of title. The UFC counts on long-term exclusive contracts to deprive other promoters of quality opponents and relevant fights. And look, and I get where the MMA FAA is coming from. And my response to them was this. I understand your viewpoint on this, but it has to be a proper situation for both parties. If the fighter has set a price point where the promoter believes it's not a proper venture, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, kind of the interaction goes back and forth with me and John Nash. And look, and I get what the MAFA is doing, but the reality is the scenario they presented is not realistic in our current world of mixed martial arts. And sometimes I, I look at this and I say, I have a different viewpoint than I believe some people in this industry, I always want to look at both sides of the story and try to come up with an opinion based on hearing both sides of the story. And I think the one, and, and let me just say this I hope Francis Ngannou gets the bag. I hope the guy gets the bag. And if he's going to get the bag, it's clearly going to come in boxing, whether maybe it's an Anthony Joshua fight, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury. I hope he gets the bag. But to me, I'm looking at this from an MMA perspective because this is an MMA podcast is if two of the two of the top MMA promoters in the world are clearly passing on you based on the price tag that you're looking for, that's not a good scenario. And for Scott Coker to say what he said to me, you you just see it that Francis potentially has priced himself in, in the MMA market. And I hope he gets his payday in boxing. It'd be awesome for him to get the bag, but I do wonder, you know, if we're a year from now, two years from now, are we going to, how will we look back at the decision Francis Ngannou made? And look, I am not trying to defend the UFC at all. They have horrible contracts, plain and simple. 
But when Scott Coker said that, that really stuck out to me and kind of made me go, okay, maybe Francis has overvalued himself in terms of how much he feels he's worth because if the UFC says no, Bellator says no. If I'm the PFL, I'm going, well, there's no reason to overpay for Francis Ngannou. So going to be interesting to kind of see how that thing plays out. But look, I understand where MAFA has come from, and they're doing some great things. The Sunset Clause, that they, they help, you know, you know, with what they're doing with the antitrust lawsuit. They're doing some great things. But it's also one of those things of you're presenting a scenario that right now in mixed martial arts is not realistic. And I don't know if that scenario will ever be realistic. And, you know, and I mentioned John Nash, I said, you know, when we talk about a Jones and Ganu fight, let's all be real about it. Francis Ngannou is the B side. He's not the A side. And someone as someone like myself who is in the sports bar industry and can, you know, see as we have venues that show you or have shown UFC pay-per-views, I can tell you this, Francis Ngannou did not bring a crowd. And I'm not trying to say that to be in a negative light. It's just being the honest truth for our locations in Ganu just was someone that I thought would bring people in, but he, it was no different than a, a majority of UFC events outside of say a Connor fight, uh, a John Jones fight. Those are, those are, you know, Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar. Those are the type of fighters that would bring a different type of crowd out for mixed martial arts action. So, uh, you know, just that, you know, when I, I saw those tweets, just like kind of something that I did want to touch on, of course, uh, this just past weekend, we had UFC and Bellator, uh, did watch the Bellator event live and, you know, and obviously one of my, I think biggest takeaways from that Bellator event has to be with Usman Nurmagomedov and look, and I, it wasn't that long ago. I was sitting here on this podcast going, why is Usman Nurmagomedov getting a title shot with his resume? And boy, man, damn, what a great performance by Usman Nurmagomedov. I mean, good Lord, he went out there. And look, I understand that this is not the Benson Henderson of five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. This is a different Benson Henderson, a 39-year-old Benson Henderson. But man, Usman Nurmagomedov just made it look easy out there against him. I mean, it's it's crazy how easy he made it look out there. And I tweeted about this, and I was like, you know, where where do you rank Usman Nurmagomedov? And I'm just over at Tapology, And Tapology currently has Usman Nurmagomedov as the number 16 lightweight in the world. Personally, I would rank him well above that. I think really the question mark with Usman Nurmagomedov is – is he top three? Is he top five? To me, he's definitely top 10. You look at the, the top 10 that Tapology has, number 10, Jalen Turner, nine, Michael Chandler, eight, Armin Sarukian, seven, Justin Gaethje, six, Matthias Gamrot, five, Rafael Fizia, four, just Dustin Poirier, three, Benil Dariush, two, Charles Oliveira, and number one, Islam Mahachev. Of course, Mahachev and Nurmagomedov are training partners. Boy, would that be fascinating to see what does that training session look like between those two guys. But to me, I, I would he's he's definitely top five for me. I mean, you just look at the, the, the abilities that he has shown. Um, and Bellator has a really interesting argument right now about their champions versus the UFC champions. And I understand that a majority of the mixed martial arts audience is never going to think a champion outside of the UFC is more talented than a champion 
inside the UFC. But when you look at what they have at 55 with Usman Nurmagomedov, when you look at what they have at 70 at Yaroslav Amosov, at 85 with Johnny Eblen, at 205 with Vadim Nemkov, and at 145 with Patricio Pitbull, Bellator has a very interesting argument in terms of, you know, how many, you know, if you sat there and I know it will never happen, but if you had those Bellator champions go up against the champions in the UFC, who would win that? You know what? I mean, it'd be interesting. I mean, I would pick Yaroslav Amosov over Leon Edwards right now, even though I don't think, you know, when me and Daniel do a show on Thursday night, by the way, the show's going to come out on Thursday night because I'm taking taking a couple of days off going out of town. It's my wife's spring break. You know, she's a teacher, so we're going out of town for a couple of days. So myself and Daniel will record the show on Thursday night. I do expect Kamaru Usman to walk away with the UFC Welterweight title. Now, Usman versus Amosov, that may be a little bit of a different story. At 85, Eblin versus Pahaya, that's an interesting one because obviously Alex would want to keep it on the feet. Johnny wouldn't want to keep it on the ground. We want to take it to the ground because that's where his biggest advantage would be in that matchup. That's very interesting. Nimkov, I would probably take Nimkov right now. We, we, we look at, at the UFC light heavyweights, you know, and, and, you know, it's just one of those things. And I, I don't think I would pick Patricio over Volkanovsky, but there's interesting matchups. So it's a very, I know there was some kind of some talk on, on MMA Twitter today, but um, it's very interesting, man. But Usman Nurmagomedov, man, I was, whew, man, boy, that is a bad boy. That is a bad boy with what he has uh, been able to do here in mixed martial arts. But I do want to get into the interview portion of the show now as you're going to hear the four conversations I had. First, you're going to hear the conversation I had with Daniel Strauss. Then it'll be Weston Wilson. Then it'll be Alan Martinez. And finally, you hear from Ezra Elliott. Joining me now here on the MMA Report Podcast is a man that we have not seen in competition in over two years, Daniel Strauss. Daniel, man, as always, uh, appreciate the time, man. So uh, what has been going on with you the last two years, man? Not much, man. Just been chilling and uh, keeping my head low, just uh, staying out of the way and, you know, living that dream, working and, you know what I mean, just everything that everybody else is doing. You know, obviously the last time we saw you, there was XMA, and I know I was watching that interview where you'd kind of mentioned, you know, the, the MMA days are pretty much likely, likely done. So is it a situation where BKFC reached out to you? Did you reach out to them, or was it a little bit of a mutual interest? Uh, a little bit of both, you know, a little bit of, uh, mutual, uh, I know I reached out a while ago, um, uh, maybe like a year and a half ago, we was trying to get something done, couldn't get it done. Um, and, but I'm here now, you know what I mean? Uh, I got an opportunity to fight, um, this, uh, this guy, Dat, and I jumped on it and here I am. In terms of BKFC, I mean, obviously a lot of, you know, fighters who've competed in mixed martial arts have made that way over to bare knuckle. Was there something that intrigued you about bare knuckle? Was it just the, the boxing aspect? Uh, just the, the, that and the, the whole, uh, competition, the, the combat sport of it, you know what I mean? Um, uh, you know, that's what I, uh, you know, that's, that's home for me. Um, you know, as far as MMA, it was, you know, body being banged up all the time. You kind of, after doing it for so long, you want to roll on to something new and something different and still uh, test yourself and test your skills and stuff like that. And this is, um, I always thought it would be a perfect place for me to go and, you know, see uh, how it do. 
uh, obviously you don't have to worry about the ground aspect anymore in terms of training, but, yeah. but how different is training now outside of obviously not having to work on the grappling? Mm. Uh, outside of the grappling, not, not much different. You know what I mean? I'm still uh, working on my hands, still working on footwork, you know, positioning, uh, uh, levels, everything, you know, so everything I did, and I won't say everything, but again, outside of the, the grappling, but everything I did in MMA, you know, I'm still working on and then adding, you know, being able to add, you know, new things uh, as far as like, you know, boxing style, new stances, you know, new ways to punch because it's not, I don't have to worry about being taken down. I don't have to worry about, you know, being kicked in the face. So uh, it's, it's just being tweaked, you know, um, a lot of things I'm doing now just, you know, we, we tweak things and, and we move from there. I, I remember a couple of years ago, Sean Wheelock had said to me, he's like, Hey Jay, he goes, you gotta, you gotta come to a bare knuckle event and you'll, you'll kind of see what it's about. And I, and so I went to one that was here in Tampa and like, you know, some of the initial thoughts I had was, I mean, a, I mean, you're right in the pocket, right? As this fight starts, your opponent's right there. Um, you know, and I, and I, I've talked to Mike Richmond about this and, and I said, you know, the American version of it is very much, it's very, you know, head strikes a, as opposed to, you know, the UK version where you see more kind of going to the body. Like, do you remember like the first time you saw, you know, bare knuckle boxing and, and kind of your, your thoughts of it? Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a fan more or less because I, I was an MMA guy. You know what I mean? That's what my sole focus was on. So, I just thought it was, you know, something that, you know, just like a lot of people, ignorant, you know what I mean? I just didn't really, not that I didn't believe in it, just um, it wasn't for me at the time, you know what I mean? And then as the sport grew, um, you know, um, the level competition grew, stuff like that, you see the difference in it, you know what I mean? And um, starting to understand it more, it's not, one of those things that, you know, guys just walking up the street, fighting, you're getting high-level fighters, you know, guys that know what they're doing, getting high-level boxers, you know, high-level MMA guys. Um, so it becomes something that, okay, this is this is definitely something that's worth watching, you know what I mean? You're not just, like I said, getting this guy that walked out of, a, you know, Target store and wants to throw, you know, throw down. So, you know, so it, it's, very, very much uh, intriguing. Yeah, you know, I, I always talk about there's perception versus reality, you know, and, yeah. and no matter what we are in life, and I'm sure you've probably, you've dealt with that in all aspects of your life of, you know, maybe how people perceive you because you're a professional fighter. Like, was there a perception you had about bare knuckle boxing that once you started kind of getting in this world, you just realized like, damn, I, I was well off on that. Yeah, um, like I said, I, I, at first, you know, uh, years ago, when I first saw bare knuckle, I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't there yet. I didn't jump on the train, you know what I mean? And I perceived it as just being just, you know, something that somebody's throwing out there and, you know, whatever, you know, uh, something that makes some money at or whatever. But like I said, as time, you know, has went on, um, the perception and the reality of it isn't that, you know, it's just these guys walking off the street. There's, like I said, high-level fighters, guys that know what they're doing. You know what I mean? Now the only thing that we're doing is taking the gloves off, um, not, you know, and, and throwing. So, you know, 
that's a big it's a big taker for me. It's something that I like, you know. In terms of, and I've talked to other, you know, people who've gone in the bare knuckle and talking about, you know, how you prepare for a fight of whether you put on gloves or you don't put on gloves. How, how do you, you know, like I remember one guy says, like, I wanted to train my knuckles to get ready for this. Like, are, are you primarily, you know, sparring in gloves? Um, I've done, I've done a little bit of all, you know what I mean? I have you know, have to condition my hands as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I also want to protect my hands and, you know, same thing with like sparring with headgear, you know, I've sparred with headgear, I've sparred without headgear, you know what I mean? You want to just get the feel of things. So, um, yeah, you know, you always have to condition your body to what you're going to, to war for. And, uh, you know, this is your knuckle. So you got to condition your hands, you have to condition your mind, your body. And, uh, you know, I've been doing that. Is it a different mindset for you now in bare knuckle as opposed to that mindset you had in MMA? Um, no, it's still the same. You know, I want to win. I want to be on top. You know what I mean? I want to showcase what I'm good at. Uh, I want to put on a good fight for the fans. So the mindset's still the same. You know what I mean? Uh, I would say, um, the only difference would be, you know, how we get there. You know what I mean? I don't have the same opponents that I'm looking at. I'm not looking at the same, all right, maybe I can, you know, tactics. and Maybe I can do this instead of this, you know. Uh, it, it's just, it's it's a different strategy, you know what I mean, with it just being boxing and with it being bare knuckle. It makes me wonder, you know, because of like, I'll mention about Mike Richmond. You know, I remember when Mike Richmond was making 35. And now you look at Mike, right, yo. <laughs> you know, and, yo. I mean, you know, Mike's yo. fighting at 85. You know, so, I, it may, so are the weight cutting days totally over you? Like you pretty much fighting at your walking around weight? Uh, I'm I'm fighting at my natural fight weight. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, I always cut. I've been cutting since I was young. You know, what I mean, it's it's nothing foreign to me. Uh, I enjoy it. I mean, as much as I hate it, I enjoy it. I enjoy it because it's part of the sport. But I don't I don't cut much. I don't have to cut heavy. Um, but two. <laughs> To, to bring up what you just said, uh, I remember when uh, Richmond, yeah, when he was fighting in Bellator, and he was a 45, and I turned around, and I seen one day that, like, he was fighting in bare knuckle at, at, up in the upper weights. So I'm like, God damn, that motherfucker, he is huge. Like, he is huge. And it's dope to see him, you know, still throwing down, and, and he's always been a talented fighter. I've always looked up to that guy. He's always been a tough guy, hard hitter. Um so yeah, I, you know, guys that can make that change, make that make that weight, and not have to, you know, cut as much or cut as heavy or, you know, cut as much. Um, you know, hats off to them, and you know, guys that's going up in weight and weight and doing what they feel is right for their body. You know, that's what we should be doing is listening to our body. You know, and, and they're throwing you right into the mix here. I mean, you know, you look at this, you're taking on a guy who's been a champion, fought for titles. You know, his last fight was a, a, a title fight. Um, you know, was that something that you had requested from them or was that, hey, that's just what they offered me? Hey, this is what it is. You know what I mean? Uh, you you send me a contract, I'm going to sign on the dotted line. And that's how I've fought my whole entire career. Um, and this is no different. You know, I'm not asking for anything special. I'm not. I need to work for whatever. You know, everything I'm gonna get, everything I'm gonna get, and that's how I've always looked at it. So, um, 
I, I didn't ask for any special opponent. I didn't ask for, you know, I need to be this or I need to be that. Um, you know, this is what they offer me. This is what I took, you know. In terms of that, you know, as a yeah. bare knuckle boxer, like as you, you know, you've, you've sat there, you've watched the film, you assess him, like what, what sticks out to you about what he does the best? Um, Very quick. You know what I mean? He's a banger. Puts his head down, likes to swing. You know what I mean? I, by putting his head down, I mean like he just looks down or anything, but he, he bites on that mouthpiece and he gets to work, you know, and that's what he's good at. And uh, that's what makes him a good fighter. You know, and obviously part of the bare knuckle is you don't got five minutes to work with in a round. Like, hey, yeah. how, how has that been part of the, uh, you know, getting ready for this matchup? Uh, different, to be honest. You know what I mean? Uh, at, at, you know, the first few months um, when I first started a while ago, just trying to train for two minutes or whatever, it's like you got to you gotta turn it on ASAP. You know what I mean? Because you don't have that time to – you know, let me fill him out and see what he's doing and all that. Because by that time, you know, it's it's done. It's time to go back and you know round two. So, um, knowing that you got to get it, get to get to work asap, it, it's you know it's a good thing. In terms of you know, I think one of the most unique things about bare knuckle is the fact of it's not like you're both starting in neutral corners. You're both starting mm-hmm. right there, like you know. How does how does that change like the mentality in the fight of knowing like hey I I don't have to take four steps to get to my opponent like literally I'm taking a step or or I mean we've seen we've seen dudes you know throw a punch immediately and connect. Um, it doesn't change much for me, you know what I mean. Um, you know I've always thought walking from my quarter to the center of the cage was, you know, as soon as you get to that center, it's on. You know that walk has been. That's all they're doing is eliminating that walk. You know what I mean. So you know, soon, soon, fight. You know, as soon as that bell hits, boom, it, it's time to go. So you just have to make sure that you're always on point and staying on guard and keeping your hands up and all that. And uh, yeah, there's no big difference. You know what I mean, as far as you know that aspect. You know, it's fight time. Once you're in there, it's fight time. Period. So. Whether you're at a corner or in the center of there, it's fight time. Do you feel like, you know, Dat may try to feel you out a little bit more than maybe in, in a normal bare knuckle fight just because of this is your, your BKFC debut? Um, No. You know what I mean? He's going to do what he's good at. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to, you know, play around with me. I mean, I wouldn't want to play around with him, you know, nor any other opponent. So I don't feel like he's going to take me lightly, and I don't think that he's going to take me for, oh, you know, a guy that's never fought this before. You know, because it's fighting's fighting. It may be bare knuckle, but it's still a fight. I've been in plenty of them. So, um, you know, I I know that, um, you know, I, I, I might be new to the organization, but uh, that doesn't take away from – you know, the skills that I have and it doesn't take away from the, the, the fight knowledge that I have and, and, and so forth. What have you missed the most about fight night? Hmm. Getting done with my fight. <laughs> <laughs> Being able to be like, all right, cool. You know, because the pressure and the buildup, 
you work so hard for so long and, you know, your training partners, your coaches, you know, uh, medical staff that works with you. Um, it's a lot, you know what I mean? It's a lot on your mind. It's a lot, you know, it's a lot on you, you know what I mean? And, uh, when there's a draw, you go in there, you put it all, you know, put it all on the line. And then when the fight's done, it's a big fresh air because it's like, okay, it's back to, back to the, you know, drawing board, but for at least a couple of days, you get to breathe, you know what I mean? You get to breathe and relax and be like, all right, that's why I do this. You know what I mean? That's why. And it, and it's always well, um, well, welcome. I mean, I mean, obviously you've been doing this for a long time. You still get those nerves on fight night? Uh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I don't think if you, if you're not getting the nerves and you're not, it's not for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? The nerves is what makes you, <clears throat> excuse me. The nerves is, um, the nerves is part of it. You know what I mean? Uh, the nerves, you need that. You need those nerves. You, know, you need to, like I say, stay cautious, you know what I mean? Stay dangerous, you know what I mean? So the ner- those nerves are a big part of the sport. Yeah, of course, a lot, I know a lot of people watching or listening to this, they, they remember, you know, your time in Bellator, you know, I, I can, as you think about your time in Bellator and, and your achievements, obviously got to imagine, you know, winning the title has got to be, you know, if not the top achievements right up there, like as you think about your top achievements in, in the game, like, is there like a, a night that sticks out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, there's a bunch of nights, you know what I mean? Uh, Losing the title, cutting my hair, winning the title, um, you know, losing fights that I, you know, was for sure thinking that I was going to win. Um, having the rematches with uh, Patricio over and over and over, um, you know, just there's a lot that sticks out. Um, I can't, it's always hard to just single out one because there's been so many ups and downs. And uh, the thing about me is I love them both equally, you know, the highs and the lows, you know, uh, if it wasn't for some of the, the, the lows, I would have never reached those heights, you know what I mean? And vice versa, you know what I mean? Wanting to go somewhere and be on the top of the mountain and being knocked down and, and knowing how it feels to have to climb that mountain again. It's, um, it's a unique feeling that not everybody really understands. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's so many times I'm doing a show and, and we're talking about, you know, a, a fire, you know, right on that verge, whether or not they're going to make way or, or miss way. I can't tell you how many times that scene with you comes up in my mind where Bellator yeah. just happened to be following you on the cameras and immediately you're just like, cut my hair. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I so. <laughs> yeah, man, that, that, that's one thing that, um, I, I don't regret. I never will regret. That's the only time I've never made weight on my first attempt. And um, that just goes to show you, like, what we're here for. You know what I mean? Nothing else matters. I'm here to fight. You know, cut it off. You know what I mean? If it was an arm or a leg that I had to do, cut it off. You know what I mean? Because I'm here for for a certain certain reason. And I'm not leaving until I get that reason. What would you want fans to like when they hear the name Daniel Strauss, what would you want them to think of? Um, my grit, you know what I mean? My love for the sport. Um, you know, I've always been, uh, I've always been, 
I've just been one of those guys that I'm not, you know, I've never been a shit talker. I'm not big on playing to the camera and, and shit like that. I've always just been a, a, a fighter. You know what I mean? Uh, everything I do is for the inside of that, you know, ring or cage or whatever it is. Um, you know, when you think of me, you think, oh, yeah, he's going to fight. You know what I mean? Oh, he's hurt? Yeah, but he's going to fight. You know, I can't tell you how many times I went into fights where I was banged up, tremendously banged up. You know what I mean? Before even people knew about my um, accident, I had numerous fights where my neck was, you know, really bad. Mm-hmm. You know, arm couldn't move. You know what I mean? Uh, so, you know, knowing that, you know, I just put it all in there. It's all I can ask for. Is there ever times you look back on some of those fights where you, you with how banged up you were that you go, how the hell did I make it a fight night? Hmm. 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 Plenty, plenty, especially the older you get, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. and you're just like, uh, you know, you wake up to go eat breakfast and you're like, oh God, all this hurts. You know what I mean? And then you think about, well, you know, none of it hurt it when, you know, you know, you got twisted fingers and broke toes and broke ribs and, you know, sprained ankles and all type of stuff. And you still just went out there and, and did it. And I, you know, I amazed myself. Is it one of those things as you've gotten older, you feel like it's about training smarter, not harder? Um, It's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You definitely need to train smart. Um, but uh, I, I'm a, call me old school, you know what I mean? But I'm also a believer in, uh, you know, having to spar or not spar, but work hard. You know what I mean? You can't find who you are with just, you know, the easiest work, you know, the softest padding, you know what I mean? You're never going to find out who you are. You know, I know guys that have been dogs in the gym, you know, dogs in the gym. And, you know, you put them out under that lights and you don't see that same person and vice versa. Guys that train very smart don't do, you know, nearly as no sparring or, or as much sparring. Um, but, uh, you know, might get rolled over in the gym, but you get out there and he's a completely different animal. So I think it's always been a, a mix of both. And you have to find that sweet, uh, sweet touch for you because not every fighter is the same. You know what I mean? So what what works for me may not work for somebody else. And, you know, just like I'm saying this, you know, some other guy can come along and be like, oh, no, that's bullshit. And touche, it might be bullshit. You know what I mean? Because, again, what works for me won't work for him. You know, I had to find myself the hard way. You know, I had to get punched in the face numerous times. I had to get kicked in the face numerous times. You know what I mean? I got beat up so much in the gym, it's unbelievable. You know what I mean? I used to walk around and, and kind of be like, well, damn. You know, I'm getting steamrolled in the gym. But uh, none of these guys are, are world, you know, champions. But I go in here and I, I put it all out there and, you know, I'm able to walk out with a title. You know, what do they think about me? You know what I mean? Because it's like you just not every day is going to be your day and not every day is uh, going to be their day. But of course that day for you is coming up here on St. Patrick's day, March the 17th, BKFC 38. Of course, everyone can watch it there on the BKFC app. Daniel, man, as always, man, I appreciate time and uh, 
Of course, let everyone know where they can, uh, if you want, you know, your social media and anything else you want to mention, man. Um, yeah, just uh, my name, Daniel Strauss. I'm on uh, Instagram, D-A-N-I-E-L-S-T-R-U-S. You can find me there. Uh, if you're a fan of me, I appreciate it. If you're not, you will be. And uh, I want to thank you for having me. Joining me now here on the NBA Report is a man that's coming off a victory at Tough Enough 131 as it took him two minutes and 37 seconds to go out there and get a submission victory where, well, his opponent didn't tap. He he went to sleep. Weston, Wilson, Weston, appreciate the time. You, know, you mentioned in your post-fight interview, like, you thought it was going to be two minutes and 51 seconds. So, I, like, when, yeah. I, when I, I was listening to your post-fight interview, you were saying about that. I guess my initial thought is, was there something leading up to the fight of why you felt you would be able to get the win that quick? Um, well, historically, I'm I'm a pretty quick finisher. Um, but I don't know. I just envisioned the the fight, you know, and and the sequences that were um, going to lead to the finish, and and it was exactly how I envisioned the the whole fight. Um, I watched maybe two of his fights and knew exactly how to beat him. Um, and, and I knew that if I put the pressure on him that he wasn't going to, you know, he wasn't, he he's a confidence fighter. And so I just never let him have confidence. Um, and so I knew I could wear him down. And as soon as I took him down, I knew I'd, I'd, uh, I'd get the finish, but I thought it would be a lot harder for me to fight for that finish, like on the ground. I thought the the grappling exchange would be a little bit more, like I thought he'd have a little bit more defense um, on how to defend. But Chase Hooper was like, "Look, he's probably going to roll, give you his back, and then at that point, just take it." And so, and, and he did exactly that. As soon as we got him down, he like rolled, gave me his back, and and we just took it. And for people who have not seen the fight, they can go over to UFC Fight Pass and you can listen to the hilarious commentary of Don Fry. I don't know if you've gone back and listened and watched the fight on Fight Pass with the, with the sound on, but uh, yeah, there was there was some hilarious commentary going on there. Uh, you know, as you you got the you got him to take down against the fence there, were you surprised how easily you were able to get to his back? Um, yeah, so that was where like, I thought there'd be a little bit more struggle to get to his back. Um, but that morning we were actually at the UFC PI, me and Chase and, and Coach Davini, and we were kind of, you know, going through the game plan and everything like that. Um, and as I was grappling with Chase, he was like, look, this is probably like, this is going to be what happens. And, and it literally was exactly that, like, uh, when I started like hiking up the body, he turned, rolled and, and tried to like roll out. And in that roll gave me the back. Um, it was funny because we actually ran into Don Fry there uh, at the PI before the fight. And um, he was, you know, he's, he's a character. He's a good dude. Yeah, char- character. That, that's definitely one way to describe Don. Uh, you know, you, you talk about that post-fight interview. Um, I, I forget where I initially saw the interview. I, I, may, I may have seen it on your Facebook or or maybe somewhere else. But, you know, basically a synopsis is like, hey, UFC, I'm beating these guys. Give me an opportunity. It was it, the yeah. synopsis. There was there was much more to, to kind of how you, you yeah. said, talking about, you know, who you've trained with, whatnot. You know, I mean, I mean, I think we've been we've been talking since you were back in Utah and and going to Dallas and yeah. now in South Carolina. I mean, is that just kind of like are you at the mindset right now saying, you know what, I just gotta stay ready because I know guys are gonna fall out and you know you could be like a like a for instance Jared Gooden steps up on six days notice to, to fight this weekend. 
Yeah, I, that that's my mindset right now. I mean, uh, talking with Coach T, talking with management and stuff like that. Uh, XMA was like, hey, you've always got a spot in our card April 7th if you want it. Uh, and I love, you know, I love to fight frequently. So I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. And then uh, Coach T's like, no. He's like, you're, you're, he's like, I'm putting you on ice. He's like, you're staying ready for UFC short notice call. And that's it. If we don't get one by like June, we'll fight in June. And so I was like, okay, you know, I, I can, I can give that to you, coach. Like you're, you're the coach. You, you've been doing this for 40 years. You know, I, I, I'm trusting you and, and we'll, you know, slow the roll. So right now uh, I'm just enjoying eating whatever I want this week. And then I'll be back on the diet come Sunday um, and get my weight down. I want to be like 160. So if there is a call, it's just 15 pounds and, and I'll get that off in five days. Because I don't yeah, want to have a mishap on the scale either. Yeah, I mean, it is also thought of 55 in, in a short notice opportunity as well on the table? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 55, 45, um, either one. Um you know, so I, I actually just reached out to um, Tyler Minton, seeing uh, what he can do, because uh, I, I essentially for the next six weeks, I just want to be like at that point where I'm I can make weight at 55 or 45 and still like maintain strength um, and, and not like let my training suffer either. So. <clears throat> You know, so sometimes like with the weight cut, like you you choose like the weight cut over training. I want to be able to do both and not like suffer at all. So that that's the that's the game plan um, going into it. I'm really there's a lot of 45ers on the San Antonio card, mm-hmm. so I got my eye on that one. You, know, you you mentioned about Coach Ray Thompson, and you had this Instagram post where you said we are one step closer. Two years ago, I made a promise to Coach Ray Thompson I'd make the UFC, and he promised me he'd make me the best fighter I can be. Thank you, Coach, for withholding your promise. So in, in terms of, of Ray and what he's done for you, like is there – is there something he said or, you know, obviously there's a technique aspect of, of his vision on, on fighting, but what about Ray has really helped you take it to the ne- another level? You know, I think it's the bond that we have as, as fighter and coach. Um, he's really kind of a, adopted me as his own. Um, we have a really good, uh, almost like a, a father son relationship. Um, it's funny cause my, my dad, lives down the street from me and, and he's doing karate now and uh, <laughs> doing the adult karate classes. I've started back as a white belt doing the adult karate classes because I don't I don't have a black belt in Kenpo karate. Um, so I'm like doing that and going through the whole process again of, of doing like traditional karate. And it's, it's been fun um, because I've been able to like take new things and add it. And I and the, the cool thing with with Coach T is, is I have a lot of ideas and, and I'm like hard to rope in and coach T can rope me in and he he nourishes the ideas that I have that need to be nourished and then makes me forget about the ideas that are just absolutely stupid and shouldn't be you know uh given second thought and and so that's that's one thing that coach T has done really well and the other thing is it's like um he's stern and I need a stern coach but also a coach who I know like cares about me and would do anything for me. Uh, and so it's that, that good bounce. And, and I just never want to like let him down. So I push myself more than I would if it was just me. Um, so that I never let coach T down. 
And I think, I think that's, that's a big part of it. Like uh, that boxing fight I had, I took it on a five day notice against an 11 and one boxer. And like, I was freaking out in the back. I was like, what am I doing? I'm such an idiot. Like, why would I accept this? Like, you know, like, I like, I like to think I got big balls, but like, <laughs> I'm like, listen like out in the back, like coach, we got to back out. Like, let's just go home. And he's just like, no, you're going to stick him with your left hand. You're going to stay in his face. And, and that was the first time that in 11 fights, that was the first time Coach T's ever cornered me in between rounds. I've never had Coach T okay. corner me in between rounds because I've never gone past the second round or past the first round. And so that was really good for me and, and him to like be able to hear his advice in between rounds and then implement it. Um, I think that was actually that one boxing match was longer than my last 11 fights combined. <laughs> you know, I, cause I, I, uh, when I was over your topology, one, one of the things that did stick out to me, I was like, wow, Wesson's kind of had some time in between fights. And I, and I noticed the boxing matchup. And then I saw your Instagram, you, you talked about how you took that fight on short notice. Like, I mean, you mentioned about, you know, kind of, you know, where your head was at, you know, you know, minutes yeah. before this fight's about to start, but like, what was there something, was it, was it just the challenge that intrigued you the most about taking a boxing fight? Yeah, I think I think it was the challenge. It was also like I wanted to prove to everybody in South Carolina like what a real fighter is. You know, mm -hmm. um, you get a lot of these guys who who say they're fighters here in South Carolina and and they're not. You know, they're they're not they're not testing themselves. They're not you know stepping up to the plate. And so I wanted to go in and plus like the whole MMA fighters boxing is like a you know it's becoming trendy. Um, so I wanted to go and do it and, and I wanted to prove that, you know, I could do it, um, but not only do it, but do it in a fantastic manner. And, and so for me going in, like the, the week before that boxing fight, I was out in Orlando cutting weight with Steven, you know, hoping there was 10 55ers on that card, hoping one of them fell through. So I had my shot, like I got licensed and everything. I did everything I was supposed to hoping I'd get a short notice call then it didn't happen. Uh, I literally got called up the day of Steven's fight, like, hey, do you want to box? And so I was like, you know, I was with Coach. She was like, hey, what do you think about me boxing? And uh, he's like, well, the kid's 11 1. He's a legit boxer, but, you know, I think you can beat him. And I was like, okay, I think I can beat him too. And then, like, I hadn't done any boxing rounds. And then we go <laughs> back to South Carolina after the fight. And I did like four, I did four rounds and I got like, smoked i was like shoot what am i doing i lost <laughs> all confidence in the fight and then uh you know it all came together fight night and and coach she's like you'll be fine like you you know what you're doing you you've been doing this for a long time you, you'll be fine and and so like the reason i did it was i wanted to prove that i can go longer than five minutes uh and i wanted to prove that like uh I can strike as well because most of my fights go to the ground. Um, and so I just wanted to prove, and, and I also wanted to test my chin because I had that knockout, my first knockout loss in July, which was just, you know, stupidity on my part. Um, and so I just wanted to prove like I, I had a chin and that I can still take shots and, and, you know, come forward. And so like we boxed up a weight class too, like it was at 170. Um, and, yeah, so it was just a big – it was a gamble, but it was a confidence booster. Like, even if I had a good showing and didn't win, it would still be a confidence booster. The sheer fact that I won, you know, just put me that next level mentally. 
you, know, you talk about uh, achievements in this game. I did see on Instagram you got the achievement of your brown belts under uh, uh, Guido Santana. So did you know that was coming? We, we, we talked, um, and he was saying, like, hey, you know, uh, you, you should come out and and, uh, and and spend a week out here. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Um, and, and we had been in talks, like, since December. Um, and, and after every fight, you know, I always send him the footage. I'm like, hey, what, do you, what, what can I improve on my jiu-jitsu? Like, what can I do this and what can I do that? And and so we are always in touch. Mm-hmm. Um and so I actually asked Coach T if it'd be okay if I continued my my jujitsu journey under under Jiva, um, even though you know they're Carlos Machado affiliate and Carlos Carlos is great too, um, and the jujitsu program out here is 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 also very good. Um, but for me, it was you know Jiva and I had this connection early on in my career uh, when I was a brand new blue belt. And, and I had always told myself I wanted to, you know, get my black belt under Jiva. And so it was really cool that, that coach T, you know, gave me his blessing as well. And then, um, getting to spend that week out there, which like pretty much like kicked off this whole camp was, uh, you know, being out there for a week and just grappling. And that was all I did was grapple. I didn't do any striking, nothing. Um, and man, I was getting my butt whooped by some of the guys, I was kicking some butt as well, like, but it was, it was good. Like it was a good humbling experience um, and just a good solid push uh, to see, you know, how good my grappling was. And, and um, yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't be happier with where I'm at in my, my martial art journey right now. You know, you mentioned about, you know, Hey, we're going to kind of, you know, coach T is say, Hey, we're going to sit on the sideline. We're going to wait and see if opportunity comes. So we'll, you know, potentially you get in maybe some grappling competitions, um, you know, while you potentially wait for that opportunity. Yeah, I got um, a buddy. He he's uh, he's like top ten in the world at heavyweight for jujitsu. Uh, Joe Dierkshig, mm-hmm. or I can't say his last name. He'll probably murder me for his pronunciation of it. Um, but yeah, he just he just moved to Austin. And he's with um, Danaher now, and so he really wants me to do some of those those UFC fight pass flow grappling. You know super fights and, and things like that. Um, he, he's like trying to get me to go against some of these UFC vets as like a way of, Hey, I'm beating these dudes on, on the mat. Now let's put me in against them in the fight. Um, so we'll see, like, uh, I don't think there's any issue with it. Um, you know, I, I think it, it'd be good. I also do like point karate tournaments as well. And those okay. are super fun. Like those are a blast. Uh, we got two kids, uh, I call them kids, they're adults, but, uh, Blake and Trent Spence, uh, they're world champions in point karate. And so they'll always take me to like a point karate tournament and be like, yeah, just go in and have fun. And so I'll like join like as a white belt, I'll, I'll go in as like a red belt or sometimes a black belt division. And, and I've done okay. It's mixed results. Like it's definitely, there's a lot of different strategy with that, but it's fun because it's striking, but I, you're never going to get hurt because it's, it's, yeah. you know, point karate. You're not, it's a foul to hit them too hard. So um, but it's super fast. It's it's like the fastest game of tag you'll ever play. Yeah, I know. In terms of the uh, the jujitsu competitions for uh, contracted UFC fighters, um, I remember Clay Guido talked about this when he was doing one of the um, Fury grappling events, and he said he goes, "The only thing that uh, you can't do is leg locks," which makes which sense. Is smart, which is smart, you know, because uh, and especially you get these guys that you get the the jujitsu guys that that's all they do is jujitsu. And then they're competing against a guy who's an MMA fighter who who might 
be more of a grappler. Mm -hmm. But those jujitsu guys, like that's all they do. The MMA guys, they only do that part time. You know, like at most, an MMA fighter is going to maybe spend seventy percent of their their training doing jujitsu, whereas a jujitsu guy is going to spend a hundred percent of his training ju doing jujitsu. You know, because you still have that thirty percent where you're probably doing your striking and stuff like that. Uh, for me, it's probably flipped. I probably do. 60% of striking and 40% grappling, if if not more striking than grappling. Would that, um, be, would that be because of where you're training at? Yeah, um, I think so. Um, plus, I'm, I'm 34, so grappling is like hard on the body. Um, yeah. So I, I have my partners I like to grapple with. I like to grapple at like a very flowy pace. I don't like that hard nose, like grappling where you're just like grinding each other out and you know uh i've had those rounds i've been doing this since i was like 16 34 <laughs> so i've had plenty of hard rounds i know i know i can go hard but i choose not to is it for your mentality is it tough to know like i'm sitting on the sideline or or do you kind of try to look at the positive aspect of this of saying you know what this is really an opportunity for me to level up over the next couple of weeks no, I, I look at it as a, as a chance to level up because um, I went into that mindset after the boxing match that, hey, I could be short notice at any any time. Mm -hmm. And it was cool because the week before the fight, Wonderboy was out um, in Vegas doing like a guest coaching thing with the UFC and, and the Ultimate Fighter. Mm -hmm. um, and so he actually put in a word with Sean Shelby uh, about me. And then, so Sean was like, yeah, I've heard his name a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of who he is. And then uh, getting a fight in front of Sean Friday and then calling him out for, you know, signing these contender series bets and not me. <laughs> uh, I think I put my name on the map, hopefully. Um, you know, I, I think there would be guys in your position that would be looking at, okay, we're March. We, we know they're getting ready to start booking the contender series. But do part of you look at it and say, God, I don't know if they would they would put me on the contender series because of your age. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um I, my age and my experience, like we've got a lot of fights now. Um and and I know like Coach T, he he just prefer me to just get signed outright, short notice. Doesn't matter how hard the opponent is. He he thinks, you know, and and, and I think uh that I can hang with just about anybody. Uh, we have like Ryan Hall's come in, Chase Hooper's come in, uh, several other, you know, 55 and 45s, like they'll come in and, and train with Wonderboy for a week. And, you know, they always have me go with them as kind of like a litmus test of, of where I'm at. And, you know, I've passed those tests every time. So, uh, you know, I, Anthony Smith's come in and uh, he's, he's an awesome guy. Anthony Smith, by the way, um, super cool guy. Uh long as i'll get out like i think i'm long <laughs> it's like go go gadget arms just hit me in the face and i'm like where'd that come from uh and then you know we got chris weidman comes down quite a bit too and uh yeah i, I mean i i hang with all of them and and do fine with with all of them you know no matter what weight class it is uh so i think we're, we'd be ready for anything you know if if it was like hey Max Holloway, Arnold Allen's out. Max Holloway needs somebody short. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to win, but I can be competitive. I can definitely put everything out and go out on my shield. <laughs> yeah, you know, obviously with Wonderboy, because I feel like so many people want to come to his gym because 
he has that unique fighting style, especially if there's, you know, there's a, a, you know, another karate type fighter in the UFC. Um, what is the challenges of training with a guy like wonder boy when he has that unique style? Um, so like we, we have like, I'm like the Walmart brand version of wonder boy. Like I'm, I'm the generic, he's, he's box cereal. I'm bag cereal, but you know, like when you're hungover, you don't know the difference. Um, that's why I told Sean, I'm just like, look, I'm a Walmart brand of wonder boy. You like his brand. You like what he's doing. Sign me. The only difference is like, I'll go to the ground because you know, uh, I don't mind the ground. Yeah. And the thing is, got really good grappling too. He just doesn't. He just doesn't use it. He he's, you know, at the end of the day, he is somebody who likes to please the fans, mm-hmm. um, and and like it's awesome that that he does that. Like me, I'm more of a wuss. I'm like, I don't care about the fans. Like I'm just trying to win. <laughs> um, but no, like our rounds are super fun. Uh, there was a couple of times I got, I started getting a little like too big for my britches and I was like, yeah, man, I'm freaking hitting you and getting, you know, good shots and everything like that. And then, uh, yeah, I got hook kicked to the face, busted my lips open, just bleeding everywhere. And, and he let me know. And then we had this like unspoken cause we, like, we, you know, we're like really close, uh, and, and, and you know, each other's like favorite training partners and stuff. And we, we just have this unspoken flow where we never like, we know how to like push each other without like hurting each yeah. other. But that day, that day he kicked me and my lips started bleeding. Uh, we, we went out, we like, we just throwing heavy bombs at him and he beat the hell out of me. He, he, he turned it up. And afterwards, like we kind of looked at each other and we just started laughing. I was like, all right. He's still a top dog. Like, <laughs> I'm taking that throne. Um, but no, it's fun. Like we 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 have a lot of fun, and uh, it's cool because he's somebody like I can try the craziest stuff, and he'll know. He'll be like, "Oh man, that was great. That's awesome. Like, let's refine that a little bit." And then, uh, or it'll be like, "No, dude, that that just didn't work at all." And and just like we have a good laugh about it. And and he's so good at what he does, like. I know like if I can do something and it works on Steven, I'll be like, okay, like I can do this in a fight and it'll work on somebody, you know? And so, um, and, and that because of his experience and everything and, and like, it, it gives me a lot of confidence training with him because he's competed, you know, against the top dogs in the sport, you know, in both kickboxing and in MMA. And so like you get a lot of confidence training with somebody like that. And, and when they're like, endorsing you and, and believing in you and everything else it's like okay you know i i am good i can't do this like you know like it's it's just a little extra you know confidence booster but yeah our, our rounds super fun like if you ever came in and watched like it's it's a blast like it, it's it's you know we're both the two older guys on the mat um and and so like we don't have to prove anything to anybody you know and and we can push each other without like trying to take each other's heads off, you know, where some of these younger guys, like they're hungry and they want to like prove themselves and those rounds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I definitely heard that, that, that that conversation from various guys, but Weston, uh, really appreciate you coming on. Congrats on the victory. Look, hopefully we see you in the UFC here in the very near future. Of course, I'll never know anything for you on social media and anything else you want to mention, man. Yeah. Uh, follow me at Weston Wilson, um, spelled like the hotel. Um, 
And yeah, thanks for the thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who's now 7-0 in his pro career following a second-round submission win there at UWC 41 back there at the end of February. Alan, congratulations on the victory, man. Uh, obviously, it's been uh, you know about two weeks or so since this matchup has taken place. So, uh, how, so how do you uh, assess the matchup? Well, first off, thank you, Jason, for having me on the show. I appreciate it, and um, thank you for the kind welcome to the show. Uh, honestly, it was a... It was a great, it was a great fight. Um, all my fights in my head, I put them as I'm fighting the elite level guys. Uh, I put even if they're a white belt, I put in my mind that they're a black belt in jiu-jitsu. They're world champion level, so I never over uh, assume or I ever over constantly prepare myself in that way. I want to make sure I'm as humbled as possible getting into it. And it was a really good fight, honestly, because I had my adversity. Um, he's a southpaw. So it was that was a little trick for me to stay on his outside of his jab hand, and I was running into a little of those left hands a little too much than I wanted to. Um, but it was a good fight. It was tough. And uh, recently, I went th- three rounds in my September fight, so that gave me confidence because I'm usually finishing fights in the first. I have the utmost confidence now to be like, oh well, there's the end of the first round. We can go into the second. That's pr- totally fine. And when we went in the second, I got hit by that shot and I kind of fell to my back. I was like, we got to figure out how to end this fight now. It's uh, I'm kind of over the fact that this whole get ring time. <laughs> so looking for my takedown and getting setting it up and getting a uh, mount and then looking for my submission. It was it went exactly how I wanted to in that end of it. But it's a fight. Punches are then thrown and I happen to get caught on one of them. So it's all good. But it was a good fight. Tough competitor. Um, I'm really excited for that one to showcase my skills. I feel like I wasn't where I wanted to be mentally, where it came to like my skill set. I was there, but in the fight itself, it didn't come out what I what I drilled and trained. You had it. You had an Instagram post where um, it, one of the things I always kind of bring up is about the mindset that you have as a fighter, and you tweeted, "Mindset is what separates the best from the rest." Is that a, uh, a a quote that you got from, was that a quote that you came up with or was that maybe something a coach had said to you at some point? I actually come, I'll be scrolling on Instagram, honestly. And the way my algorithm works on Instagram, it, uh, I'll just come across some things. And I seen a post on that where it was like, you're, it's all about your mindset and that's what separates the rest from every, all the other individuals. So I was looking at that and I was like, okay, this is, this is what I literally work towards my mind. I'm always on my mind. I'm always trying to, how, do, how can I better do things and be a better person and be a better fighter? And it all comes together. So I came across it on Instagram actually. And then I was like, oh, I'm using that. Hey, like when you, when you think about your mindset in the fight game, like how, what, what, how would you say you look at the fight game? I mean, I, I since the beginning of the fight game, I was in my mind the UFC champ. So I just know it's a matter of time before it happens. And that was back in March of 20. Actually, which is pretty neat, today was my amateur debut that I made back in California at the, it was called the Citizens Bank Arena, but now it's the Toyota Arena. And I made my first amateur debut today. And that was the start of the whole glue and coming about being the glue and everything like that. So 
it's it's kind of neat that today we have this interview and we're talking about that the whole mindset the, the fight game at that moment i already told myself i'm a ufc champion at 125 so that's where my mind's at <laughs> is there something you remember about that night that like sticks in your memory to even to this day my uncle telling me your life's gonna change after today he told me that right before walking out the curtain to my fight he said alan your life's gonna change and people are gonna look at you different and i remember that because i was always a kid looking for respect i want to get some respect and i understood i had to give it to get it but i was like man i just i want to like i want to be a respected man and he and as soon as that fight ended and everything went my way on it and the way i carried myself in the fight and everything like that and i remember one of the guys that used to always like give me tough love and 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 kind of banter with me at the gym he's like you got way more balls than me now alan i never i i I was on the fight card one time and i pulled out i was scared and this and that i i respect you when he said that it it made me think of what my uncle told me right then and there walking out so it literally happened within a few days after that fight it presented itself what my uncle just told me so that forever is stuck and etched in my heart do you remember when, when, was there a, a time frame when you realized that you wanted to go on this path? It was, it was the path since I was a kid, but I didn't want to like, I, what you, I couldn't have said, Oh, I wanted to be a fighter at six years old. I started training at six and that's what got me into the game of training, doing jujitsu for self-defense. I hated every minute of it. I didn't want to train. My uncle made me train. And uh, he convinced my mom to get me in there and like, oh, Alan has to, Alan and his brother Robert have to defend themselves and they got to do this for so they don't get bullied in school. And so we had to train. There's no offense or buts around it. And two days a week I had to train and I hated it. And I was like, I'm getting my butt kicked. I don't like this thing. But after a while of training, I wanted to quit. But even when I tried quitting, I started going watch. So there's no way of getting out of this thing. So I was, I might as well try figuring out how to get good at this. But my aunt really helped me more in there too. My uncle was, my aunt and my uncle taught me, but my aunt was like, Alan, you're not quitting. I'm gonna help you so you don't get beat up as much. And I ended up doing better. And then watching my cousin Johnny Munoz compete, and then my brother compete, and then my cousin Thalia compete, I'm like, I wanna compete. And it was doing and I was doing really well competing and winning tournaments, and I was like, this is cool. And then when Johnny made his debut in 2014 amateur and Laughlin, I knew at that day, I was like, I'm doing this too. I train like him. I train with him. I can do this. And I was like, I could be a fighter. And all my friends were like, dude, you're such a great fighter. And I'm like, I only do jujitsu. I don't do no striking right now, (laughs) but all right. And they're like, you're going to be an MMA fighter one day. And I'm thinking like, I already told myself after watching that I was, this is just more confirmation around it. And then I was like, well, like my uncle says, if you're going to go for something, go 100, 100% in. Don't go halfway. So if I'm already going to go 100% in MMA, UFC is the biggest platform. And then UFC, you're not just going to be a contender. You're one. If you're going all the way, you're going to be a champion. So it's like, okay, I, what way would I fight at, though? I, I would. Johnny's fighting at 135. He's a bigger frame. I'm fighting at 25s. And I'm going for the 125 belt UFC. So that was kind of like 2014 was the confirmation of, getting in there and, and fighting MMA. And, and fast forward all these years, you're now teaching kids jiu-jitsu classes. Like, so like, do you, is that part of your message when you, you see a, a kid who, you know, maybe is struggling 
with, with you know, kind of, and, and maybe you see your, do you, are there times where you see yourself in, in kids you're teaching? So I, since I've been around jujitsu my whole life, uh, since I was six and I mean, it's been 20 years now, I'm 26. So just being around it so much, I was helping my uncle, uh, teach the kids class when I was about, I want to say like 13, 14, okay. roughly around that age, I was already helping with the kids and, um, and now like I've been, I'm like one of the head coaches for the kids, but like I've been teaching kids for now almost like a decade, um, and being around them. So I'm, I'm a really, and I've learned it from my uncle, be a straight shooter, be a great role model. Kids, you're, you're being evaluated every day. Somebody is evaluating you every day. So for me, I always, the kids humble me. I stay with the kids because kids are, they're really truthful. <laughs> They'll tell you like it is. They have no filter. So I love my kids that I teach. I love kids in general. I'm really tuned in with like being a, I'm, I'm a kid at heart. So yeah. I, I, I vibe with kids right out the gate. Like I, I'm like, what are you playing? They're like roadblocks. I'm like, what is that? And then they teach me. They're more of wanting to teach than anything, especially what they know. So I'm like, I'm like a sponge. I'm like, all right, what's roadblocks? I'm not like I'm going to be playing it with you guys, but at least I can know about it. Yeah. So I can ask you, hey, how's your Roblox journey going? Or, mm -hmm. And then they kind of go, oh, actually, I just got this done. And I'm like, not sure what that is, but you could do, you could tell me. So me being around the kids and teaching them, and I, and I love the fact that I'm able to be active fighting and then showing the kids in my fights the moves I just taught them. And I'm like, it works. Like that Americana I did, I've been teaching my kids, recapping that with my kids for the past month and a half. And they're like, you did it just like you taught it. <laughs> but what you did, what you did it with punching. Are we allowed to punch? I'm like, no, no, no you guys aren't allowed to punch. This is jiu-jitsu, but it's, it's the same thing that we're working towards. You get the mount, get your position, control, and then work for your finish. So it's been neat to be able to be with the kids. And, and I, love the, I love teaching. I, I'm a big fan of teaching. Uh, things I learn and I know, I, I try to apply it right away so I can... I can etch it in myself and I know I got it. And then I just re repetitions of other skills. So I just keep repeating it over and over. And that's not the first Americana you pulled off in MMA. So it is, is, you know, when you talk about, you know, some of your favorite submissions is Americana kind of up there in, in, in one of your favorite submissions. Not at all. It presented itself. I drill so much. I have a lot of hours drilling um, and I drill, I drill the moves, but I wouldn't say it's my favorite. I'm more of a fan of an arm bar and a triangle. I love arm bars and triangles and I have yet to find them in fights. <laughs> um, but America, don't get me wrong. I drill it all and I do like it, but it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's like a go-to. I would, I would say like, oh, that's my favorite. Um, but I'm, my uncles dialed us in to where we find an opportunity and you exploit it right away. Um, and the faster you can get out of that fight, the better. So don't linger around. Don't be, uh, I mean, cause I've heard it from a lot of guys. Oh, you need to work your striking, man. You should probably take the guys down and let them back up and then, uh, work your striking. I'm like, I don't think you understand. It's a fight. This isn't a sparring match. I could really get hurt here. It could go, it could go South right away. Um, it could be the, it could be a changing factor if I let them back up and they end up doing something because of a, I allowed them and I, and I won't hear the end of it from my uncle. And that's number one thing I don't want. That's one thing. He's a tough, <laughs> he's really tough on me. So, 
anything else, it's like, I don't want to hear it. So I, why would I put myself in a position where I'm going to get yelled at from him? I'm good. I'm just going to get the fight to the ground, end it. And what I love is there's a lot of like jiu-jitsu practitioners like Haji Gracie. Uh, he has a, a good uh, choke from mount that he does, uh, a collar choke. Everyone knows he's going to do it, and he does it to everyone still. I'm the kind of guy to tell you what I'm about to do to you, and I'm still going to do it. You can prepare yourself to stop it all you want. I've put X amount of hours into drilling this. I've seen all the reactions that can end up coming about it. So it's, it's, now it becomes about our heart. How bad, how bad do you want it? And that's what my uncle always tells us. How bad do you guys want it? You'll do it if you want it that bad enough. So is your uncle your toughest critic or is it yourself? Oh, myself. But my uncle's right behind me. <laughs> so right, right under, like within a bar of being under me. But he, what, what's nice is if I ever feel like I did good, I hear him go, we could have done that better. So it's like he's my balance factor because we have the our, our ego will get in the way and it will be like, no, you did good. You did really good. Then you have X amount of people tell you that. But I'm really big on standing guard at the door of my mind. I don't allow people to just get in. I got to allow you in. I have to make the decision because we're always being fed like advice or wisdom. And it's like, is it good or bad? I don't know, but I'm going to stand guard and process it and go, okay, this is pretty good. I like this. But then I go bring it to my uncle and I go, yeah, I heard this. He's like, I don't like that. I'm like, okay, I trust you. Like I, I trust you with my life. So you're, 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 you're everything to me. So when it comes to what you tell me, I, you've processed it already. You thought it through thoroughly. So then you feed it to me. Now I got to think this through thoroughly, but because you did, it's almost like, it's almost like someone giving you the work and you look at it and you go, Oh, there's little things that we would change, but you didn't have to create the whole assignment for it. It was already created. He already thought it through. So yeah, he is, he's a tough critic, but I would give myself that slight edge of it, but the humbling aspect of it for sure. In terms of, uh, you know, as you now look at what's, what's next for you, I mean, have you and your team kind of come up with a game plan of kind of when we could expect to see you back in there? Looking to fight again in May. August and November. Those I, I go by the year. I try planning my year out before it happens. So I give myself dates. We, me and my uncle, we talk about it. Or I'll ask him, hey, what do you have planned this year for me? And he's like, why aren't you fighting four times this year? I'm like, all right, cool. We're fighting four times this year. And then he's like, I would like this kind of date. We'll see how it plays out. But let's let's put it out there. And um, we'll see what the events are. And, and I've been blessed right now with UWC. Uh, Alex Isla's and the whole team there and uh, Jason that got us hooked up with it and um, so it's like and Raul and, and everyone that's there with AUWC Alex Rique the matchmaker uh, I mean it's been a blessing because they're on the fight pass they're one of the biggest promotions out in Mexico right now and it's, it's honestly like I'm not looking to get out of that company everyone there right now it seems like UWC is a hub right now to get to the UFC um so i'm in a perfect position with them and i'm only looking forward to staying with them and uh shooting for the belt and uh and looking to see if right now one of my teammates has it brian gonzalez at 125 uh, i train with them in interim and i'm just once he goes to the ufc and the belt gets vacant and it can start opening up i'm in no rush to get the belt i just want to have the belt before i go to the ufc mm -hmm. so it's kind of etched i got a professional belt and another promotion, and then it, it just keeps tying in. I got an amateur 125 belt, get a pro 125 belt, and then get the UFC 125 belt. 
And of course, we look forward to seeing when that next fight may take place here. As Alan, I appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know they follow you on social media. And of course, our sponsors have been helping you out, man. I appreciate it, man. Um, I appreciate the opportunity and everything that came about it and Iridium Sports for setting this up. And, uh, man, I just look forward to the uh, a blessed year and hope everyone else does, does great as well. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who's now 2-0 in his amateur career. He is coming off a victory at Tough Enough 131. Of course, that event uh, aired on UFC Pipe Fast. Ezra, appreciate the time. Congratulations on the victory. I uh, went back and I, I saw the fight was on your, your Facebook uh, IG or your, your girlfriend's Facebook IG. I, I, first, you know, before we talk about the fight, I, you, her commentary. What, what did you think about her commentary during the fight? Yeah, it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, she was having a good time, so it was it was good. It was a good night. Uh, you know, uh, a, a decision win for yourself. Uh, you know, when when the scores are being read, and of course you you know before the third score is read, it's a split decision. When it's thirty twenty seven, I got to imagine at that point you felt pretty confident that you were getting the victory. Yeah, I I, I knew I had the first round. Uh, the second round, I knew I could have lost it because the arm bar, he, he had me in danger. And the third, I really felt like I controlled the almost the whole third round. He had one moment in the round, but outside that, I kind of figured I had those two rounds. The, the second round also, it looked like he was attacking your leg as well. Yes, yeah, so he, he did a really good job, actually, because I, I went to pull my arm out, and he went right into the, the legs. I know in amateur, there's no heel hooks, so I didn't feel too too concerned i got pretty good leg lock defense too we work a lot on that so i was pretty comfortable and i got really flexible knees so my knees are just kind of rubbery but uh i'll get a little far before i really started getting out of there and, and you wrote on your instagram after this fight was over you said two and oh a smooth scene never made a, a skilled sailor got a lot of feedback on things to work on to get me to the next level got the best team and best support system in the world behind me to get me better every day I love this s another penny in the bank onto the next so in terms of that feedback that you got on the fight I mean I know that more times than not as an athlete you're probably looking for that feedback of you know how to to improve but is it a balancing act of finding that feedback of like okay here's what we did well but also here are the things we need to improve on Uh, yeah, 100%. I feel like, uh, you know, I don't think that was my best performance by any means. I, did, I didn't feel like I performed as good as I wanted to. But uh, the kid was tough. He, he, was, he was a tough opponent. Uh, I just got high expectations for myself, too. So, you know, if I don't get a finish or something, I, I kind of get a little down on myself. But after rewatching the fight a couple times, um, I see a lot of the mistakes I made. And I'm like, we're already working on it. You know, we're already getting better and improving for, you know, improving from that fight already. You know, and of course you're, you're training there at the lab in Arizona, John Crouch, of course he was in your corner. What, what did coach Crouch say about, you know, in terms of, you know, his evaluation of how you performed on fight night? Yeah. So Crouch had, you know, we had a good conversation after the fight was over, um, kind of went over some of the mistakes I feel like I made and then just some good adjustments like, that uh, we can make on the fly next time. And just Crouch is the best coach. You know, he really, he cares for us a lot. And, you know, he he does his best. So um, I know we'll be back in the room and working and just the next performance will be better. 
Is your mentality as an athlete of, okay, we're going to have competition night, we're going to evaluate the competition night, and then we move on immediately? Or is it one of those things that you you still constantly think about kind of, okay, this is what I did well, this is what I did well, this is what I not, you know, I need to improve on. How, how do, in terms of your, your athlete mindset, where do you kind of, uh, you know, how, how do you view everything? You know, the fight's only nine minutes. So there's not a whole lot of a whole lot of uh, time in there. So I kind of move on from it right after it's over. You know, that nine minutes in time, there's weeks and weeks lead into it. Then it's kind of over and on to the next. I, I like to take what, you know, what I did well, what didn't work. And I'm going to you know, discard some things that maybe the mistakes I made. I kind of can see why, why it happened, what I did. And what was kind of going through my head there. But after rewatching it a few times, I'm kind of on to the next and just looking to improve. In terms of, you know, kind of this amateur career, I mean, what's what's the goals for you? Is it about just getting cage time, you know, getting as much experience as possible? Kind of how is your view of amateur for what you, what you want to accomplish as an amateur? Yeah, so, you know, I think a lot of amateurs you know, they want belts and they want like activities and stuff. For me, uh, I don't I don't really care about any of that stuff this year. You know, I plan to go pro after this year or at the end of this year. And uh, everything's about just being ready for the pros, being ready to step into the big shows. So that's all everything is, just preparing for the big leagues. And that's just what I plan to do. I plan to make a career out of fighting, and this is what I'm going to do with my life. So everything's about just honing in and getting as good as I can get. Like, is there, was there a moment early on in your life where you remember, you know, watching an MMA fight? Yeah, I, my earliest memory I can remember watching was, uh, like, the Tito and Chuck days. I remember my dad used to be really into WWE. And I was like, John Cena's the baddest dude on the planet. My dad, Chuck Liddell is, and he remember him showing me fights at Chuck Liddell and I remember like seeing him just chucking haymakers and like I was like Jesus dude's a savage and I remember I remember thinking it was sick back then like I've always thought fighting was really cool and there you have my conversations with Daniel Strauss Weston Wilson Alan Martinez and Ezra Elliott great to uh, chat with all those men Daniel Strauss the guy that I've not had a chance to talk to in a while uh you know really fascinating conversation there kind of very interesting hearing him talking about how you know what he wasn't a fan of bare knuckle at one point and now he is taking you know going here in bare knuckle and talking about how his days in MMA have come you know pretty much you know he He's not totally closing the door, but you can pretty much tell his days for him are over. Of course, that's going to be on Friday night, St. Patrick's Day. Kind of, uh, I might, uh, depending on how kind of my Friday goes, because I'm going out to the Valspar Championship with the PGA Tour event this weekend here in the Tampa Bay area. And this will be the first time for me going to a PGA Tour event where I'm not working. So kind of interested to take that in, taking it with a bunch of buddies. We're going to be uh, in a little uh, VIP tent uh, you know, a little uh, unlimited food and drink, so it should be a good time over there. Uh, but uh, I might try to check out uh, Strauss's BKFC 
BKFC debut. Also kind of hilarious. I'm talking about uh, how big Mike Richmond has got. Then you got Weston Wilson, and uh, you know, really the big takeaway from that conversation with Weston Wilson clearly is the fact that he is not going to be active. He's going to try to see if a UFC offer comes to the table with him. So definitely got to pay attention to whether. It's a, a fight at 45 or maybe uh, a fight at 55 as a, a short nose uh, opponent there. Then uh, Alan Martinez, flyweight prospect. That's a guy that uh, I would expect. I mean, he keeps on this path. He's probably going to be in the UFC in the very near future. And then you hear from Ezra Elliott, the fly, amateur flyweight out of the MMA lab there uh, in Arizona. Definitely got to be paying attention to to see where he goes. And uh, you hear him talking about how quickly he is definitely looking to get into making that pro debut, but, uh, you know, it's, it's always interesting when, uh, you know, I have, I have amateurs and we have them here on the show and just kind of hearing about, you know, kind of their mentality of, of what it is to be there and how many fights they want to have as a amateur. Now, of course, uh, coming up, as I mentioned, coming on Thursday, myself and Daniel, we're going to have a, 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 our midweek edition of the podcast and primarily will be a preview of UFC 286. I'm sure we might talk a little bit about Marab Davishvili and his win this past weekend and kind of what's that mean for the Bantamweight division. Of course, uh, Dana White, clearly not a fan that Marab does not want to fight his best friend. I mean, I mean, I mean how dare Marab not want to fight his best friend? But uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit of that. But, you know, primarily we'll talk about UFC 286, of course, be headlined by the trilogy matchup between Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman. By the way, since this uh, fight card is over in London, early start time on Saturday here in the United States, 1 p.m. Eastern time for the early prelims. Your uh, TV prelims uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Those will be on ESPN News. And then, of course, your pay review will be at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, great co-main event between Justin Gaethje and Raphael Fizia. That should be an awesome fight. Really looking forward to that one. Uh, also on the main card, you got Gunnar Nelson taking on Brian Barbarina, Jennifer Maya taking on Casey O'Neill, and Marvin Vittori will be taking on Roman DeLidze. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of interested to hear from you guys. And are is this going to be a pay-per-view that you take in live? Are you going to maybe find alternate ways to watch the pay-per-view? Uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, finding your, you know, whatever way you want to take it in, maybe going out to a sports bar to watch it here but uh you know you got 15 fights are currently on this fight card and uh you know looking at some of the ones that to me will you know really stick out to me um I, one of the things uh Muhammad Makayev the flyway he's a eight to one betting favorite he's someone that I am definitely paying attention to on this fight card also uh Jack Shore who's a five to one betting favorite taking on Marquan Americani that to me is uh really I, I would say the two fighters on the prelims that would stick out the most to me of course, myself and Daniel, we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, coming up on Thursday night. But to me, in terms of this pay-per-view and, and the fights that are really bringing me to that pay-per-view, clearly is the main event and co-main event. Keiichi and Fiziev, that could be absolutely crazy. That's going to be one of those fights I do wonder. If this thing does go 15 minutes, is the narrative going to be, damn, wish that fight was 25 minutes? And it is very interesting to see that Fiziev is just a little over a 2-1 to one betting favorite and uh you know for justin gaethje you know you kind of you, know, you don't want to say like you know you're kind of that backs against the wall but this is one of those matchups that you just kind of wonder especially when we're talking about how deep 155 pounds is that if he does not get a win on saturday kind of where does he go from here and then edwards and usman i'm look i'm expecting kamaru usman to regain his welterweight title and you know not no disrespect to what leon edwards did but you know the, the thing is is for four and a half, you know, rounds, Kamaru Usman was absolutely dominating. 
Leon Edwards. And, you know, that to me is, and look, and, you know, at some point, as I always say, father time is going to catch up with everyone. But the fact is, you know, Kamaru Usman has had plenty of time to recover from that brutal knockout. And, and to me, you know, for Leon Edwards is, can he keep this fight on the feet? And I just have extreme doubts that he's going to be able to keep this fight on the feet. But, uh, you know, that main event, co-main event, is definitely the two fights on this card that I'm looking forward to. Of course, as I, as I mentioned myself and Daniel Galvan, we'll, we'll take a, we'll break this one down for you on Thursday night. Uh, you know, it's probably, uh, I would imagine probably that sh- you know, episode probably be out, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night, something along those lines. So uh, you wake up Friday morning. The thing is going to be in your podcast library. Some other things to kind of mention before we get out of here. Uh, Aaron Pico is uh, set to return. He's going to be taking on Otto Rodriguez at Bellator 295. You know, when I saw this fight booking a little earlier today, I, I did I had, did go down that topology rabbit hole with uh, Otto Rodriguez. Undefeated fight. Uh, excuse me. He's only has one loss in his career. Uh, coming in from LFA, but he has not fought in two years. So uh, interesting matchup to see there in terms of that one. And, uh, of course, uh, Bellator, uh, you know, I did do my uh, Bellator rankings. Uh, I don't believe the official rankings have come out quite yet. Uh, don't really expect a lot of changes um, in, in terms of the rankings. Um, you know, and when I did my rankings, uh, I did not notice anyone outside of the rankings that were, uh, the only one that was, uh, no longer eligible in the rankings was Janae Harding, who she had just had a fight. So clearly tells me she's no longer contract, uh, with Bellator, but, uh, really not expecting too many changes, uh, in the Bellator rankings this week, uh, in terms of, uh, kind of what we saw last week. And of course, man, Michael Page, oof, man, was that, uh, that was scary to see, uh, Gochi Amuchi just, uh, you know, you know, I'm not sure. I think I want to say I saw maybe it was a patellar injury, but, uh, you know, seeing those healing vibes out to Gochi Amuchi and, uh, and of course it does look like Jason Jackson's going to get the uh, next title shot, which it should be. You know what? In, in terms of you talk about earning a title shot, Jason Jackson should be next, but I was kind of wondering maybe would they, uh, maybe have Michael page bypass him a little bit, but who knows? Maybe Michael page is, uh, waiting in the wings. Maybe for some reason, Jason Jackson, uh, cannot make it to fight night. whenever they want to do him versus Amsal, but do appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me ramble on about the world of mixed martial arts. Of course, uh, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, be sure to do that. Of course, also be sure to check out everything we got going on over at YouTube. Uh, with the Ameriport podcast as we post all of our fighter interviews up there. Also, the midweek edition of the show is up there as well. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Ameriport podcast, which comes out for you two times a week on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com. 